Pray with me. Lord, what power there is in the things that you have ordained, the means of grace for your people to encounter your presence and your voice, your word, worship, the sacrament. Lord, we thank you for the community. We thank you, Father, for the gifts of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for all the ways that you are speaking to this community, that you are uh, advancing your kingdom through this community, Lord. But we say we are weak, we are needy, we are dependent, so come and strengthen us with your word. Father, I pray that the words that you've given me to speak to your people today would not return void to you, but they would unfold unto fruitfulness in each of our lives. Come, Holy Spirit, and anoint the word with your holy fire. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. I kind of feel like being out in the middle today, so I can see everybody. Good. Um, My first sermon, I can remember, I don't remember the content, thank God, but it was about 13 years ago in a little Anglican church in Flint, Michigan. Um, I don't remember much about it at all, and that's that's probably for the best because young new preachers, they tend to overcomplicate things, they get lost on theological rabbit trails, they are awkwardly repeating things over and over and over-explaining things, and then they always have trouble landing the plane. That's the worst part when you're sitting there and you're like, all right, buddy, it's time to land the plane. You're circling the airport for too long. (laughs) Jesus' first sermon, however, was extremely concise, clear, and powerful. It was 15 words in the Greek manuscripts, and it was this. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That is the message, and we're going to jump right into it. I'm going to try to do a little bit of an adjustment here because I think one mic for the podcast recording is bumping the other one and causing that little bump, bump. It's not my heartbeat. All right, if you have a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 1. I'm just going to kind of have you guys track with me, follow along. This morning, and we're going to work through a few of these verses. Now, the context is is that Jesus has just been baptized, and the Father has declared who he is in his pleasure in him. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus, this is the beginning, it's the launch of his public ministry. How many of you have gone to the uh, Space Center and watched the launch? So that Jesus' baptism is like the launching pad, and he heads off into public ministry full of the Spirit. He goes into the wilderness for 40 days of fasting to do battle with Satan, and he comes out ready uh, for action, so to speak. And that's where the text, uh, that's where we land today in the text. So John the Baptist has now been taken to prison, and uh, Jesus begins with this message, the time has come. Now, there's a word that's used in the Greek there that's important to understand because it means fullness. And so Jesus is actually saying something that's been talked about, something that you've been waiting for, is now coming to fullness. There is something from heaven's perspective, new happening, that's invading the earth, that's invading history, that is going to start happening among uh, humanity. It's a new era of God's purposes being filled in the earth. This is no small claim that Jesus is uh, proclaiming. Now, what is Jesus announcing? What's the content of it? It's the kingdom. It's the kingdom, Jesus' favorite message, the kingdom of God. If you have a Bible with references in the back that have like the little uh, concordance or whatever, and you look up kingdom, you'll see that there's like a hundred different ones that come from the gospels because Jesus is always talking about the kingdom. So Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come near. Now the word a kingdom comes from the word where we get basilica in Latin. Uh, And I see there's a Latin scholar in the room, maybe one or two back there. 
<laughs> I'm looking at you, sir. Um, but it means royal palace, right? But Jesus, the kingdom that Jesus is talking about is not a brick and mortar building. He's actually referring to rulership. He's uh, referring to rulership. One author says, uh, defines the kingdom like this. The kingdom of God is the restoration of God's rule over all things. It's the restoration of God's rule over all things. So the kingdom is not so much about territory as it is activity. It's not so much about a, a place or a specific time or day as it is about God's action coming from heaven into the earth. Now, um, namely, the activity of God that we're talking about here is him taking the planet back from Satan's rule, right? Because we're going to kind of rewind a little bit here and go back to the beginning of the story because the idea of the kingdom of God does not start right here in the Gospels with Jesus. It actually starts at the beginning of the Bible. So when we get this story, we start off in this beautiful garden and human beings are created and God says, be fruitful and multiply. He says, you will have dominion over the earth. And so God called Adam and Eve to have dominion in the earth. They were called as what we might call co-regents or co-rulers. They were to participate in God's rule over his new creation. And then Satan comes in like a deceptive serpent and he tricks them. And in essence, he gets them to give him the keys of authority over the world. And in so doing, through their sin and rebellion against God, they surrender authority to uh, the evil one. Jesus actually refers to him as the ruler of this world. He says the ruler of this world is being cast down, right? So Satan temporarily becomes the God of the world. And throughout the Bible story, God is constantly doing things like establishing covenants with people to reestablish his rule on the earth through people, just like he intended to do through Adam and Eve. But people keep screwing it up. And people don't carry forth God's will. And instead, they always end up partnering with Satan's dominion instead of God's dominion. And they just can't get it right until, until Jesus. Everybody say, until Jesus. Until Jesus. And then Jesus, the perfect man, comes in what Adam and Eve lost, Jesus reclaims by his perfect cooperation with the Father as he walks the earth. He never sins against him. He stays in perfect alignment with the Father to manifest the Father's rule in the earth. Now, Jesus spoke more about the kingdom than any other topic. Let me just remind you. Let me give you a little sampling here. I'm going to give you five quick things that relate to the kingdom. One, Jesus says it's to be the priority in believers' lives. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Number two, he says, the kingdom is a gift our Father in heaven is eager to give us. He says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Three, our place in the kingdom is motivation to kill sin. Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be cast into hell. It is the birthright of true believers to see, sense, and understand the things of the kingdom. Jesus said to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, implying that if you are born again, you can see and understand the kingdom. And number five, it is to be proclaimed to the lost accompanied by supernatural power. Jesus called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal we have not just a word gospel, we have a word and spirit gospel, amen? That is the message of the kingdom. Now, 
Everything that Jesus did and everything that Jesus taught was a perfect demonstration of God's rule. So what it would be like if God were ruling everywhere Jesus went, he brought that with him. So think of some examples. He heals a sick person. Are there any sick people in heaven where God's reign is fully established? No. Are there any people with demons in heaven? No. And so everything that Jesus does, casting out demons, healing the sick, feeding the poor, there's no poor people, there's no hungry people in heaven. Everything he did, caring for the marginalized, drawing the unclean sinner to himself. Jesus is showing that when God's rule is operative, this is what it looks like. It looks like what you see in me. And church, that is the ministry that we are called to continue on this earth through the power of the Spirit that was poured out on Pentecost. Amen? And this is what Jesus is inviting us to participate in. This is the gospel of the kingdom. See, you have to realize that when you become a follower of Jesus, you don't just say the prayer and then sit on the sidelines and warm the bench until by and by that day of glory comes and I'm lifted off into the skies to play my harp. You are not a observer or a bench warmer. You are a participant because you're entering into something far bigger than your own life. God's rule, God's kingdom is something that God was doing from the beginning and he has restored it through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and he's now advancing it through a spirit-empowered church in Orlando, Florida, amen, in Africa, in Asia, and all over the world. And, and let's, let us not forget that that kingdom will be consummated when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead and establish his kingdom fully on this earth when all is made new a day that we look forward to. So believer, God is calling you just like Jesus to proclaim his rule and demonstrate it. You see, so many of us, we, we, we strive in our flesh to try to do the stuff and do the things, but the thing is, is that Jesus, when he says, I'm bringing good news, he's not saying I'm bringing good advice for you to follow and try to muster something up and do it. I'm telling you, this is good news. Something has happened and something is happening, and I want you to be my witnesses to point to what's happening. I've been in situations where, uh, in, in uh, contrasting situations where people were following the Spirit. Let's just use healing the sick, for instance. People were listening to the Spirit and following the Spirit to, uh, to kind of gently move in the Spirit and lay their hands on the sick and seeing people healed. But I've also seen situations where people get all worked up in their emotions. Oh, this man, he can't, it's, it's not working. We got to really, okay, we're all going to go into some hyper-charismatic mode and start praying in tongues. And I'm all about doing that sometimes. But we're going to go crazy and then and the person doesn't get healed, Right? Because sometimes there's a striving in the human flesh that's actually not from God. We're not following the Spirit, right? And so we've got to discern the kingdom by listening for the Spirit and moving with the Spirit just as Jesus did. All right, uh, verse 15. Let's jump back into the scriptures here. Jesus says, repent. Now, there's a lot of connotation that's kind of a lot of baggage with that word that comes out of largely evangelical culture, and it means something like feel really guilty about your sins and make them right and get right with God and, and he'll accept you or whatever. He has accepted you, but get, get right with God and feel guilty about your sins. That's not exactly. There is a bit of that there, and that's a part of it, but the word repent, the Hebrew word for repent means turn around. <laughs> it means turn around. The Greek word means a change of mind. So uh, to repent is to, to change your mind about something and to agree with God instead, right? It's to disbelieve lies and to agree with God, to realize what he's doing, and that change of mind will actually lead to a literally turning around in your life, which does involve renouncing your sin and living in victory over it, okay? So I don't, I don't want to downplay that. 
But when we, when we call people to repent and follow Jesus and our witness to him, we're not saying feel guilty and change your behavior or else. We're actually saying look who God is in Jesus. Look what God has done in Jesus. Behold the kingdom rule of God. Turn around, which does involve renouncing your sin, and follow Jesus. And start participating in advancing God's rule over the world because that's your destiny, that's your calling in Jesus. That's what we're calling people to when we call to repent. It's whole life renewal, right? Okay, let's look at the call. Jesus proclaims the kingdom and then he immediately starts conscripting followers, soldiers into his kingdom immediately in Mark's passage. Mark actually uses the word immediately over and over and over again in his passage. It's like, a, it's like the, the succinct version of like, it's the, it's the bullet points of the gospel. Mark moves like this and immediately, immediately. But anyway, immediately Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee and he calls out to Simon and his brother Andrew and he says, come, follow me. Note that he does not say, Here, here's the list of rules. If you want to go to heaven uh, or experience the kingdom, now go and do it, right? Um, Jesus invites us first to become attached to him. Jesus invites us first to become attached to him. We need to remember that in our public witness because Jesus loves when an unbeliever simply attaches to him and says yes to him. They might have a whole load of garbage and sin still going on in their life. But the Lord is going to transform that. And so we can't be impatient or think that, oh, this person's not real. But Jesus wants people to attach to him first because all that will follow. All that will follow. We have to attach to Jesus to walk with him, talk with him, learn from him, and work with him. Too many believers know how to follow rules, but they don't know Jesus. They don't know intimacy with Jesus. They don't have quiet time to talk to Jesus, enjoy Jesus. It's easy to follow rules. It's not actually easy to develop intimacy with the Lord and learn to hear his voice and learn to really love him with all of us, including our affections and our emotions, because obedience will flow out of that. <clears throat> I, uh, some of you know I have a, a, an interest in the, in the intersection of psychology and Christian spirituality. And one of, the, one of the most, some of you probably heard of this, but one of the most kind of important psychological theories that was discovered in the 20th century is called attachment theory. I don't agree with everything about attachment theory, okay? But there's things in it, in that discovery, that show us about God's design. They show us about God's design. I think it's, it's fascinating. But basically, it's based on three principles. And I just thought this was such an interesting framework through which to see the way that Jesus calls us close to him, to follow him. Number one, bonding is an intrinsic human need, right? From the, from the day we're born, we look for bonding. Number two is that secure attachments enable the regulation of emotion and fear to enhance vitality. Right? This is where, and when we think about connecting with Jesus, where fear loses its grip on us, right? Because why? We're attached to Jesus. We're in Christ. We're secure. And number three is that secure attachments promote adaptiveness and growth, right? So all that to say is that your attachment to Jesus, your personal relationship, as we evangelicals like to say, your personal relationship with Jesus matters because out of that will flow a life of virtue and healing and uh, unholiness and obedience and fruitfulness. Jesus said, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. That is, the one who loves me will do these things because they have the secure attachment. And disciples of Jesus, we say in our discipleship circles, disciples of Jesus hear and obey out of I knew I could count on you. Disciples of Jesus. I think you, I think you coined that phrase. So all, all props to Nick. Disciples of Jesus hear and obey out of love. God is intensely relational. And we have to be reminded of that often as a people who are called to proclaim his kingdom. 
Now, let's look at verse 18. It says, at once they left their nets and followed him. Say, at once. At once. once. They didn't say, oh, Maybe Jesus, yeah, I like that idea of following you, but I got, I need to get, I just, let me, I need to go grab some friends really quick and process this for a couple months and pray about it. And then I, I, think, I think I need to take a retreat and learn a little bit more about it, right? It says at once they just got up and followed him. I'm not against like processing things and praying about them. I just, you get my point is that when Jesus calls us to obey, there's one way to respond at once. There's one real, real healthy way to respond. And it's at once. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind uh, what it meant for these fishermen. It's a, it's a detail that can easily be, be uh, breezed by, that what these nets meant for them. Your net as a fisherman was your vocation. It was your source of income. It was your source of security at some level and probably at some level your identity. And it says there was something about the call on this man that the authority of his call, the love in his eyes, if we could speculate for a minute, the draw that his being, his spirit anointed being had, that I would leave my source of security and income and just follow him. And, and some of us, we, we're like, I think Jesus might be calling us, but I don't know, it might just be legalism in my mind. No, it really, that actually might be Jesus. Jesus might be calling you to change careers. Jesus might be calling you to move to Af- Afghanistan to be a missionary. Jesus might be calling you uh, to, to uh, serve your wife in that way. Jesus might be calling you to do that. Don't write that off as legalism. Follow his voice. So at once they follow him, at once they follow him, and they are now recruited to advance the kingdom. And we see them doing that alongside Jesus all throughout the gospel. And he models it for them. And then he says, come alongside me and you're going to do it and I'll help you. And then I'm going to send you out to do it and I'm going to watch, right? It's an apprenticeship model. So Jesus's invitation, it is a relationship. It is an invitation first to relationship and loving intimacy, but it's also a call to battle. It's also a call to battle. And this is, the, this is the word for the church today that the church needs to reclaim. Living in God's kingdom, you can't be a passive bystander or a bench warmer because you're in a battle. And people who are passive and lollygagging in battle, some, only one thing happens to them, right? They get taken out. You have been conscripted into a heavenly army and charged with a commission from the Lord of heaven and earth. Advance my kingdom by making disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, cleanse the leper. Freely you have received, freely give. He says to Peter and he says to Andrew and Simon, I will send you out to fish for people. You see, every Christian who comes under the lordship of Jesus is a fisherman now. Every Christian is a fisherman. That doesn't mean that everyone is called to the office in the role of evangelist full-time, but every Christian is meant to be a net caster. And that's where, it, that's where this, import, this conversation about the kingdom is so important because we have to realize the kingdom is something happening. It's God ruling, and we simply need to become sensitive to where and how he's ruling in any given situation and partner with him. But more about that in just a moment. I will send you out 
to fish for people. So how do we partner with Jesus in advancing God's rule, in advancing God's kingdom? This is and has always been the human vocation to advance God's kingdom. It wasn't to, to be a morally goody two-shoes. Two it was not to attend church every Sunday, though, though you should. The, the, the assignment to humanity has always been to advance the kingdom of God, to proclaim it, to make it known, call people's attention to it, and to be a vessel of God's power and love so that other people can experience it and enter it. Yeah. Amen? So, number one, how do we partner with Jesus in advancing God's rule? Number one, partner with God in the present moment. Partner with God in the present moment. You and I cannot force the kingdom to manifest. It's happening all around us. But by being led by the Spirit, we look for God's kingdom at work. We listen for his voice, and we participate, we point out, we call attention to. I don't care if it just means you're driving down the road and you get a weird nudge to drive through the Wendy's drive through and buy a hamburger for somebody who's sitting on the curb who's homeless. Do it. I don't know, Lord, I'm really tired. I was just at a conference, a Christian conference. Like, do it, right? The Lord is going to work. Putty Putman, which is a great name, but he says this, for us to learn to do the works of the kingdom, we must learn how to speak in faith when we see what the Father is doing. We need to grow in discernment and our ability to perceive the Spirit of God hovering over the chaos in someone's life. There's, so, there's opportunities every day to do that. There's opportunities every day to do that. I was at the gas station the other day, just a quick story, and I was in a hurry because I was trying to get to a, 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 a pastoral visit. And um, there was a gentleman in front of me who was trying to pay for his gas with a $100 bill. It was, the only, it was obviously the only source of it, it, the only uh, money that he had because the attendant asked him if he had a card or something, and he could only get $10. He's like, no, I can only get $10. So he was standing there trying to figure it out, and I said, I just want to, will you put $10 of gas on my car? Because the Holy Spirit in that moment said, buy his gas. Just buy a $10 in gas for him. And I had a very, I did not have a lot of time. I said, hey, he said, thank you so much. I said, man, Jesus loves you. He died for your sin. He loves you, right? Simple messages like that. I've got, I've got to run. I wish I had more time. Uh, what's your name? I want to be praying for you. You know, that kind of thing. There's opportunities all the time to do that, to partner with God. And who knows what God would do, would do with that? I will probably never know. I will probably never know. I like to imagine that they go home and weep and repent and <laughs> praise God and become believers. And I, you know, may it be so, but we can never know. What, that's not up to us. What's up to us is to say yes or no to the promptings of the Spirit to make God's kingdom known to somebody. Number two, number two, how do we partner with Jesus in advancing God's rule? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You cannot be an effective minister in the kingdom if you are not full of the Holy Spirit. Now, you know me, I don't like getting into debates about what is it, the language, the baptism in the Spirit or the be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't, because I don't believe that God has tiers of Christians, tier one and tier two, and this person's spirit-filled, but this person's not. The point that the New Testament is making is that there is an experience that the early apostles were very, very concerned had happened in the lives of believers, and it, should ha it needs to happen to every believer. And if it's already happened to you, you shouldn't be thinking so much, has it happened to me, but that I need it because we need it again. And again, Paul says, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. When Paul went to Ephesus, he found disciples there. And the first question he asked them is not, did you learn the catechism yet or get all your doctrine filled out? He said, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, what? We have not even heard of it. And so Paul laid their, his hands on them and the Holy Spirit fell on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. They were filled with power for witnessing 
to Jesus. We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit because it is a concern of Scripture. When I was filled with the Holy Spirit, the, 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 probably the most prominent characteristic of my life became a, bo a boldness for witness, to be able to begin to share Jesus with people. And that's how it should be because Jesus said, you will be clothed with power from on high and you will be my witnesses. And so many believers have such, there feels like such an uphill battle to be able to share Jesus with anybody. It feels like such an uphill battle. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because he'll take you right up and fill your heart with something that could only come from heaven and fill your heart with power that you do not have in your own strength. Now, yes, I believe every believer has the Holy Spirit, but think about it like this. How many of you had a snow globe out for Christmas time in your decorations? <laughs> Nobody? Nobody uses those anymore? Okay, thank you. <laughs> Somebody's awake today. So if you think about a snow globe, right, if it just is sitting there, all the snow's kind of like sitting on the ground, not moving. But if you shake it up, you shake it up, it's this glorious winter wonderland inside that globe, something you'll never see in central Florida. <laughs> but it gets shaken up, right? And, to, and, and some of us, we need that shaking up. We need, Lord, I need to be full because I want to be a bold witness. This is such an uphill battle for me. I need your power and your strength. When I cried out for that, I got it. God is looking for people who are hungry to be bold, to be witnesses. We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit for everything, not just witnessing, for everything. And you know, because there's a new boldness, there's manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit, and your heart is deeply stirred for the things of God. There's new levels of holiness of life, right? All those things, character. This is number three, and this is my final one. I'm almost done. Y'all with me? Okay. Praying and fasting. Oh. Yes, praying and fasting. Praying and fasting releases the power of the kingdom amongst believers. I, I'm going to have a hard time saying this name, but he's, I think, an African missionary, but he says his name is Yunusa Jiao. But he says this. Our leadership team is reading a book called The Kingdom Unleashed, which is incredible um, about disciple-making movements throughout the world. But he says this, behind any success in planting churches and making disciples, there is a lot of prayer and a lot of fasting. A lot of bending knees, a lot of crying and weeping before God. This is where the victory is won. And then you go out on the field and you see results. Friends, this is why this announcement will be reiterated at the end of the service. This is why every first Friday of the month will be a fasting day for us as a church. Where we invite you and strongly encourage you to enter into corporate fasting on, on every first Friday of the month. We come here at night, we break fast together. And then we worship and we pray our hearts out. We intercede for the city, for our church, for the sick, for the lost. We ask God to give us his heart for his mission in Orlando. There's a lot of lost people out there in this city that is dominated by perversion and bondage and addiction and entertainment and all kinds of slavery. And there is a God who is waiting for his church to come alive and to point people to his kingdom. Amen? So let's be that people. Yeah? Let's pray. Jesus, the invitation that you give us to come into, to be your friend and to partner with you and receive the forgiveness of sins because the precious blood that you shed for us, Lord, is a gift that sometimes we take for granted. And Lord, I, I want every believer in this room and I want my own heart to be renewed and reminded that life with you is not just a still and passive life of doing the right thing. Lord, doing the right thing is participating with you by the power of your spirit and advancing your kingdom in this world. And Lord, we can only come alive in that 
by the power of your spirit and your work. Lord Jesus, just as you were baptized and the spirit came to rest on you, we ask you, Father, today for the reminder that that we are your beloved sons and daughters with whom you are well pleased because Jesus has always already measured up for us. Lord, thank you that in our, in our efforts to manifest your kingdom and advance your kingdom and to proclaim your kingdom, we're not earning anything, Lord, because Jesus has already earned it for us. But thank you, Lord, that anyway, that you have prepared us for good works that you prepared for us before the foundation of the world. I thank you, Lord, for every person in this room, and I pray that today, when every person leaves this place, Lord, that through the worship, through the power of the sacrament, through the preaching, that every person, Lord, would feel a little bit more empowered and be a little bit more empowered to carry out the purpose and the destiny that you have on their life, to proclaim the kingdom and to make you known, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen.